0: as we are just taking time in His Word each and every day, praying it through verse by verse, God will show us significant things in His Word about Himself, about us, and about the characteristics of the Christian life that He so desires us to know and to understand. And what I learned this week was somewhat shocking in the sense that I don't know if I saw it in such prominence up until now. And that is the fact that when it comes to the issue of thankfulness and gratitude, it is on the top five most desired characteristics of a Christian. That a Christian should be characterized by thankfulness, by gratitude. And as you think it through, it only makes sense, doesn't it? If you think it through theologically, what other person in the world has what we have to be thankful for as Christians? No one. There's no other religion in the world that provides what Christianity provides for us as followers of Jesus Christ. We have every reason to be people of thankfulness and of gratitude. And when we live it out the way the New Testament writers desired us to live it out, we discover very quickly that it becomes a tenant, a cornerstone characteristic of the Christian faith. Now often when people are asked what are the pillars of the Christian faith, they'll often turn to First Corinthians 13 and they'll talk about faith, hope, and love. But by the number of times mentioned by the New Testament writers, thankfulness is right there amongst them. It is God's desire that we be people with an attitude of gratitude within a fallen and dying world. It is meant to be a characteristic in our life that is a light unto a world that is dying, a light unto a world that is suffering from its separation due to sin from Jesus Christ. We should be thankful people. And as we come to our text this morning, I discovered that Paul, in his writing to the church at Colossae, gives us three choices that we can make today to allow us to become the thankful people that God desires us to become. And they all stem or they all revolve around the person of Jesus Christ, But it is interesting that one scholar over a hundred years ago wrote that he believed that the thankfulness of a Christian's heart, the thankfulness and the gratitude that one walks in, not only has spiritual benefits to it, but also physical and mental benefits to it also. And sure enough, just this week, the Forbes magazine wrote that there are seven reasons that people should desire to be grateful people. And they list seven reasons why individuals should be grateful and the benefits that that gratitude produces within them. Now again, it's interesting that our world is finally catching up to the Bible, right? The problem is, is that their gratitude is simply based on their circumstances or the objects in which they desire to attach it to, which could be fleeting or it could be uh, temporary in nature and therefore it won't give them the consistent, sustainable gratitude in which we can carry ourselves in because Christ is immovable, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, Christ will never leave us nor forsake us. And as they so desire and they so uh, hope for the um, gratitude that is produced by their circumstances to continue any length of period of time, it is so important that we understand that what they have and what we have are radically different. And so they may search for the health benefits of gratitude, but unless they can attach that gratitude to something more than themselves or their circumstances, they are always going to be falling into that same pit of despair. As the Forbes article went on to say, it stated that gratitude opens door to more healthy relationships between people. That simply saying thank you and please and Showing and constituting good manners in your relationships should improve your relationships to become healthier relationships. Wow, what a basket of wisdom that is. To say thank you to someone who has done something kind for you. Isn't it great that the world's finally catching up to that? Instead of demanding our way, maybe we should be thankful and we'll be healthier for it. Secondly, they wrote that gratitude improves physical health. Grateful people experience fewer aches and pains, and they report feeling healthier than other people do. And it also leads to psychological improvements. Gratitude reduces the number of toxic emotions ranging from envy to resentment to frustration and regret that if one is grateful, they will most likely stay away from other emotions that tear them down rather than building them up. Number four, they stated that gratitude enhances empathy and reduces aggression towards others. As they wrote, grateful people are more likely to behave in a pro-social manner even when others behave less kind according to the study done in the University of Kentucky. Number five, grateful people sleep better at night. They discovered that writing in a gratitude journal each and every day before going to bed improves your sleep habits. And number six, they stated that gratitude improves the self-esteem specifically when it comes to athletes trying to accomplish and to maintain optimal performance as one participates within their sport. And lastly, that gratitude increases mental health or mental strength. For years, researchers have shown gratitude not only reduces stress, but it also plays a major role in overcoming traumas. And again, I think of the individual who wrote over a hundred years ago who saw the benefits of gratitude in the life of the believer Again, the difference is clearly stated for us in the scriptures. Our gratitude comes through Christology, the understanding of who the person of Jesus Christ is and our relationship with Him, through Him, to God the Father. And for them, their gratitude is often simply attached to their circumstances of life, their desires and self-wants being fulfilled, etc. And one is stable, the other is not. But when we go through the New Testament and we count the number of times that God desires his followers to be individuals of gratitude and thankfulness, you discover very quickly that again, as I stated several times already, this is a cornerstone characteristic of a Christian. And I desire that it be a cornerstone characteristic of an individual here at our church and as our church comes together in community and collectively together. We need to be thankful and express that thankfulness through our praises to God. Express that thankfulness through our generosity towards one another and our love towards one another to express that thankfulness in the humility in which we carry ourselves rather than in the pride and the entitlement that the world would say that needs to be uh, found within the individual life. It's important that you and I understand that this was a key component to the health and the unity of the church in which Paul is writing to. And as he is moving through chapter 3 of Colossians, like his other epistles to the other churches, specifically Ephesians, we get theology the first couple of chapters and then he moves into practical application and how these things are to play out amongst us. And when we come to the book of Colossians specifically, he starts in chapter 1 with the exaltation of Jesus Christ stating that Jesus Christ must uh, place within a person's life in a position of preeminence over everything else that not only is, our, is He our Savior, but He is also our Lord. And He is the one who is to occupy, as we had stated metaphorically, the throne of our hearts. So as we move through the book, and Paul is ex, ex, explaining the exaltation of Christ in the life of the church and the believer due to all that Christ has done for us on our behalf. He comes to chapter 3, speaking to the individual first and foremost, talking to, to them about taking off the old life and putting on the new life in Jesus Christ. A characteristic trait of the Christian faith is that once we become a follower of Jesus Christ, receive Him as our Savior, are born again, The old life dies and we now enter into a new life given to us by him. And a characteristic of that new life should be love, faith, hope, and thankfulness. Key components of this new life. So he instructs the individuals to put on the new life and therefore taking off the old life and the old habits in which that life brings. And we find that in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 3. But then, as he gets to chapter, uh, verse 12 of chapter 3, he then moves into not only the individual's role within the church, but how the church and the individual. Unify themselves together within the church based upon the thankfulness of the heart of the individual and that thankfulness revolving around the person of Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, there's not only individual application, but there is collective application also that we find amongst these verses. And let us read up to verses 15, 16, and 17, which we'll be looking at specifically, where our three choices are found. But let us begin at the beginning of the thought in verse 12. Again, any verse must be kept within the context of the verses that precede and succeed it to truly understand what that verse is trying to say. Taking a verse out of the context in which it originally was written allows for the the problematic interpretation of it because now it is subjected to the reader's thinking rather than the, the writer's original intent. So when you find a verse and you find that its application is somewhat um, concerning or you find that, oh, I don't know if that's actually what it's saying, then go back to the source and find the context in which it was originally written to find out if that interpretation actually fits the context of what it is written within. Now, there are three contexts that you need to be concerned about. I've made an argument in some papers I've written that there are five, but let's just talk about the three first and foremost. There is the context first and foremost of the chapter in which the verse is found in. So starting at the beginning of the chapter and reading to the end of the chapter is a good place to start to find the context. The second context is found within the entirety of the letter. How does the verse and my understanding of that verse uh, coincide with the context of the beginning of the letter to the end of the letter? Does it coincide with what the author is originally intending to write? Does this make sense? Is it a progression of thought that can be traced from the beginning of the letter to the end of the letter? That's the second context that must be considered. But there's a third context that often is negated or neglected due to the fact of their misunderstanding of the Bible in its entirety. God chose to reveal himself through the Word of God in a unique way, through 66 different books by 44 different authors, authors over a 1500 year period of time. So, the third context that we must be concerned with is the context of the entirety of the Bible. How does this verse interpret or play out in the entirety of Scripture? And therefore we see how it begins and we see how it ends in Revelation and we get the understanding that there's a thought, there's a consistency because ultimately the Word of God written through the hands of individuals is all authored by the Spirit under His authority and therefore we have one common author, God Himself working through the individuals, allowing for consistency amongst the 44 different authors over the 1,500-year period of time within the 66 books of the Bible in which we currently have today. Did you get all that? Because there's no way I can repeat it. So let us start in verse 12. Put on then, as chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness and humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And now we come to the verses we look at as he now moves from an individual application to an individual collective application. It's, you can find that in the Greek grammar. And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. This is verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Some of your translations may say grace. I do believe thankfulness is a better rendering of the Greek word that is used there, aplesia In verse 17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In verses 15 through 17 how many times are we commanded and instructed to be thankful dun dun, dun 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 three times three times all predicated on three choices that you and I can make today that all stem and revolve around the person of Jesus Christ let's take a look and begin in verse 15 where it says, let the peace of Christ rule. Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and what? Be what? Thankful. Thankful. The first thing that we need to understand is what is meant by the peace of Christ. It's the only time this phrase is used in the entire New Testament. And I agree with those that it is synonymous for the peace of God. And the reason that Paul is using Christ uh, in place of the word God is because of his desire to place Christ in a preeminent position within the life of the believer, but also reaffirming his deity that Jesus Christ is God and they are one in the same. He is the second person of the Holy Trinity. So the peace of Christ is equal to the peace of God that is mentioned throughout the New Testament. And this peace was first spoken about by Jesus himself. When the disciples learned that he was about to depart and to leave them, they were concerned, they were afraid, they were worried, they were anxious and of course their actions indicated that by them departing and going back to their old lives after he died and was put into the tomb and laid there for those three days. But Jesus promised them in John fourteen twenty seven, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. And let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So the promise in which he made to them That when I leave, I will give you my peace. And it is not a peace that the world has. It's a peace that I personally give to you. It is a peace that Jesus Christ is speaking of that first and foremost brings us as we come to Him, as we are born again within Him, we receive a peace with God the Father through Christ Jesus. Because the Bible clearly teaches that before we were Christians, we were at enmity with God and that the wrath of God was uh, poised and placed upon us. But Christ came that whomsoever believes in him shall not die, but have everlasting life. And when we turn to Christ and we receive him and we repent of our sins and we believe on him for eternal life, for faith, um, for eternal life is given by faith of faith alone in Jesus. Jesus says, I will give you a peace. And that peace begins with a peace with God the Father. You cannot begin to have the peace of God until you first have peace with God. It's impossible. You cannot have the peace of God until you first have the peace that comes through Christ with God. And then as that relationship with God the Father is reestablished through the mediation of Jesus Christ, we now therefore can receive the peace of God that guards our hearts and minds during our everyday life here on this earth. It allows the peace of God as Paul is writing here to us, and let the peace of God rule in your heart. The word rule there is the world a word, I like to use the word umpire your heart. Let it reign over the uh, decisions. Let it reign over the interaction. Let it reign over your relationships. Let it reign in the sense of uh, guiding you and giving you strength in your times of need. Let it umpire your heart, and we'll come back to that in just a moment. Allowing us then to have peace with one another in the body of Christ, but also having peace in the manner in which one proceeds and walks forward with God through troublesome times in which we face as believers in Jesus Christ. As one wrote, and he did so so eloquently, he says, it means to be assured and confident and secure in the love and care of God. It means to know that God will take care of us no matter what the problem or circumstance might be. It means to absolutely uh, assured that God will allow nothing to swamp us or to defeat us God will strengthen, encourage, guide, sustain, deliver, save, provide, and give real life both now and forever in and through the person of Jesus Christ. But here's the deal: within the Greek grammar, this is a choice that we make. We make the choice to allow the peace of Christ to rule our hearts or to not. And this choice is a choice that we find throughout the Old and New Testament. It is a choice that we make. Notice that Isaiah stated in Isaiah 26.3, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. There's the decision. Because he trusts in you. And again, notice what Jesus said in 14.27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, and let your heart not be troubled. Here's the choice, and neither let it be afraid. Choice number one that leads us to thankfulness is to allow the peace of God to reign in our hearts. Today, we live in a society that feelings have become everything, hasn't it? Today, individuals are they struggle with ascertaining what is true and what is real and authentic and therefore the litmus test anything that is true real or authentic is simply devised upon the manner in which a person feels so if it feels right it must be what right right and this is how we have degraded the understanding of truth within our society. In fact, just two Thanksgivings ago I was at the kids' table because I just got to the adults' table this year. I'm really happy about that. I thought maybe I was going to get a t-shirt or they were going to have a little party for me afterwards, but they didn't. i um, really sad about that. Um, but that being said, as I was sitting there at the kids' table and I was talking to others who had been banished to the same table, um, we were talking about how an individual ascertains what is true. And in my witnessing with them, they're all in their 20s, I asked them, now listen, if you discover a piece of information, how do you go about discovering if it is true or not? And you know what? They could not give me their methodology for the manner in which they determine if something is true or false. Because that kind of critical thinking that kind of reasoning has been very much degraded over our, in our society for the last 10 to 15 years. But the Bible tells us clearly that in Christ we can have authority over our feelings and emotions. The Spirit of God allows us that privilege. We can make the choice to allow the peace of God to rule in our heart or to run to fear and to worry and to anxiety and so forth. We can choose to trust Christ and have faith in Him in our each and every day life, or we can run to fear and allow that fear to guide us and to lead us through our situations and our circumstances day on and day out. It's a choice. And we need to make the choice today to allow the peace of God to rule our hearts as Paul has instructed So how is that peace of God obtained and maintained? Well, Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 4 through 7 that this peace is given to us through prayer. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, he writes, and let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Notice there's that word again, thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and what will happen? The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I have seen and discovered that those individuals who have cultivated a significant prayer relationship with the Lord, who spend significant time in prayer with the Lord during the course of the day, week, month, and year are much more likely to trust God when circumstances go awry, to weather the storms of trials, troubles, and tribulations. I find that individuals who are in prayer have the uh, ability to uh, have that peace where those who find that prayer is the last resort, I have no other option, I have no other uh, recourse, uh, they struggle with worry and fear and anxiety and so forth. But those who cultivate a deep prayer relationship with the Lord each and every day, as seen in every one of the apostles in the New Testament, as seen in every one of the heroes of the faith from that from then to today they were always men and women of significant prayer and therefore when difficulty came they were prepared and being prepared they were able to weather the storm because the peace of god which surpasses all understanding all rationale—that's what it means. It doesn't mean to, it, it means that it's beyond our understanding in the sense that it's, we shouldn't have it, but we do have it. Will guard your hearts and your minds, and those words are very significant. It means to protect us. It means to watch over us, and often it's guarding our hearts from the fear and the frustration and the anxiety and the worry that comes. From a lack of faith and trust in Jesus Christ, how many times did you notice through the gospel as, as Jesus was preparing his disciples that they went to fear, worry, and they went to uh, positions of panic and anxiety, and he then chastises them. He says, "Oh, guys, you're so little faith, such little faith." I love the scene when they're in the boat, they're crossing the uh, the uh, Sea of Capernaum, and. Um, The storm raises and Jesus is sleeping in the back and they are totally freaked. That's the Greek word. Totally wigged out and freaked out. And yet there's Jesus sleeping in the back and instead of being reassured by that, they get mad at him. What are you doing? We're about to die. If they only would have trusted. And therefore he chastises them for not knowing exactly what he said and who he was. And so prayer leading us to allow the peace of God, the peace of Christ to rule our hearts is also predicated on our next point, verse 16. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdoms, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness, In your heart. We need to cultivate a deep, abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. We do that by getting to know Him and His promises to us by reading the Word of God. And so Paul now makes a declaration and he says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching one another, admonishing one another in the wisdom of the Word. Singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Why? Because of the thankfulness that is within your heart. From the beginning, God wanted his people to know that his word was a source of strength that would lead us to a right understanding of him and also a right understanding and perspective of our circumstances of this world. From the beginning he wrote such as these words in Deuteronomy 11:18, you shall therefore lay up for you these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlands between your eyes. Or the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, we'll read the whole thing. No, I'm just kidding verses 11 through 12, "I have stored up for you words in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes." And Peter asked us to crave the word, and he said, "Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if needed, if, if indeed you have tasted, that the Lord is good." Now he says, let this word dwell in you richly. Interesting word that he uses there. It is a word for an individual who is moving into a new home, believe it or not. And it means that the individual knows and is prepared for the first step of that move, which is to walk into the home and to cleanse it and to remove anything that is contrary to what he desires to do with that home. And then the second phase of that is then therefore moving in the new that does accomplish the purposes that he has for that home. And so Paul is writing to us and he is saying this to us allow the word of God to clean you out and then to instill the new within you, transforming you from the inside out, renewing your mind, transforming your mind through the word of God and therefore allowing it to dwell in you richly. And his point is this, that knowing Christ through the Word in which He desires us to know Him will not only allow us to know in Him, but it allow us to grow in Him. The Word has a unique method of working in us. It cleanses us and then renews us from the inside out. And teaching a class that I taught, I had to convey this to some scholarly third graders And we were trying different, you know, symbols and analogies and illustrations to get this um, point across to them. And I could just tell that they just simply weren't getting it. I would use these clever analogies. I'd quote Tozer and Spurgeon and show them in the Greek and there's, you know. And then there's this one bright little girl in the class. And all of a sudden I could just tell that, oh, this concept clicked, that the word cleanses us and then renews us from the inside out. It works in us for its good purpose. And I could tell that she finally got it. And I looked at her face, I'm like, oh, thank God, because now I hope that she can then articulate it to this class and they all get it. And so I asked her, I said, so what is your understanding of the work of the word of god in your lives and she goes it's just like i saw on television i'm like okay where are we going with this she says it's like those scrubby bubbles that you spray in your bathroom and then they have the little brushes on them it was a commercial back then and it cleans your whole bathroom and then you wash it all down and then the dirt is gone and it is all brand new I'm like, that is one of the most theologically profound illustrations that I've heard as of to date. The word is like scrubby bubbles. It rids your mind of the filth and your heart of the filth through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And allowing the word to dwell in you richly should then lead you to a thankful heart knowing that God loves you too much to leave you the way He found you. He wants you to know it and to apply it, therefore in the knowledge of it, growing up within it. So as we allow, number one, the peace of Christ to reign within our hearts, number two, we need the Word of God to richly dwell within our hearts, leading us to the thankfulness in our hearts to God. And lastly, number 17, verse 17, And whatever you do, know this, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is not just referring to placing Christ at the focal point of everything that we do, but also qualifying everything we do by Christ. By lip or by life, everything that we do should not only be qualified, but Christ should also be the focal point of it. Therefore, knowing that what we are doing and what we are carrying out in our life is moving us to a position where our lives will therefore glorify God and therefore we can continue in that thankfulness rather than in the feeling of conviction due to our disobedience in Him. Again, what does it mean to do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus? It means this, to live and to move and to have our being in the name of Christ, to trust and depend upon the name of Christ in all that we do, to claim the name of Christ in all, the way, uh, in all that we say and all that we do, and to represent Christ in all that we say and all that we do. As he sums it up, simply stated, we must do nothing that dishonors Christ. And whatever we speak, Christ peppers and fills our conversation. And then whenever we act, Christ is honored by our behavior. Again, this is a choice. It is a choice that we make. And it is the third choice that will lead us to thankfulness in Jesus Christ. Making the choice to allow the peace of God to rule your heart. Making the choice to allow the richness of God's word to richly dwell within your life. Allowing, therefore... And making the choice as a believer to do all that you do unto the glory of God, as Paul will write later in Colossians whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. These are three choices that we can make to allow the thankfulness that God desires us to have to be carried within us and to govern our lives. Now let us be honest, there are things that are constantly wearing against our, th- our thankfulness. This world is constantly throwing things at us and creating a profile of a person that they believe will ultimately be led into joy and happiness and only to discover that there's emptiness in the wake of that existence. For example, let me give you five things that absolutely destroy thankfulness within a person's life. Number 1, it's selfishness. You will rarely find a thankful, selfless, selfish person. Selfishness, when it becomes all about me, when I am the center of all things, remember that our thankfulness is not centered upon our circumstances, It's not centered upon us. It's not centered on temporal uh, provisions and temporal things. It is centered on the person of Jesus Christ. Number two, if we carry ourselves in the mindset of entitlement, we are rarely going to be thankful for what we have. When we feel and believe that everyone owes us something, rarely will we uh, carry ourselves in a manner or an attitude of gratitude throughout this world. Number three, a critical nature. If we have a critical attitude, a critical nature towards other people, rarely will we discover thankfulness and live as a person of gratitude. Number four, I think is huge, especially today. Individuals who will never find thankfulness are individuals who can never find contentment. And therefore they are discontent in all that they do. I again believe based on the teaching of the word of God that being content is a choice that you can make today. To be content in what you have and to be therefore grateful and thankful for what you have and I would point you to Philippians chapter 4 where Paul shows us very clearly that contentment is a choice that we can make and we can stay within if we choose to do so. But if we continue in discontentment as individuals... We are always going to be looking for something else to fulfill us and to better us in some way. And therefore it's difficult, if not impossible, to be thankful for what we currently have. And so discontentment will often lead us to places that we don't want to go. I have seen those in the business world running after the proverbial carrot of riches. And every time they think they find it or uh, they arrive there, they find themselves wanting even further. I'm now seeing it in relationships with people, that if they just had the right relationship with the right person, that they would then be content. But contentment in Christ is so much different. I'm content in knowing that God knows what's best for me. I'm content to know that everything that I need, God will provide for me. And if he hasn't provided it, it's probably because I don't need it. It's like Walmart. They don't have it, I probably don't need it. But a discontent person is always going to be looking for something else. And it's just, it's part of our DNA in this society to be discontent. We always feel like someone else has got it better, someone else has got it easier, someone else has got, you know, uh, a, a better life and a better job and a better this and a better that, and yet we don't look and see what we have and be thankful for it. I worked for an individual, he was a brilliant man, who when I was sharing with him my faith in Jesus Christ after work one evening we talked about being thankful. and We talked about having gratitude because it was, believe it or not, just before Thanksgiving. And he said something to me that I always remembered. He wasn't a believer in the Lord and yet he was open to it and him and I had many discussions about it. And I was just simply a part-time employee there working at his company trying to make ends meet being a pastor in ministry. And one evening it ended up being him and I alone in the office and we started talking. And we started talking about the issues of being content and problems and so forth and he had the attitude that I felt was so wise and that was that so many people would just like to give their problems away and have the problems of someone else. Really. He said think about it this way. If you were to take all of your problems and put them in a large bowl with all the problems of everyone in the world you're going to be desiring to pick the ones you just put in because you don't know what you're going to get out of that bowl, do you? But a heart of discontentment will always keep us on, the, on the, the issue of, I need more and I can't be thankful for what I have. And lastly, it's pride. Number five, pride. I have always noticed that gratitude and, and thankfulness are very common with a humble person. A prideful person will often be too prideful to admit that he is thankful for what he has. For you and I, who are believers in Jesus Christ, we have these choices in front of us. They are choices that we do not make in the flesh alone. But God has given us the grace and he has given us the spirit to make these decisions, to allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts and to supersede the fears and the worries and the anxieties that our feelings will render at those moments of difficulty, trial and trouble and tribulation. We have been given the Spirit of God to allow us to richly dive into the Word of God. And if you're not, I encourage you to begin a practice of spending time in God's Word each and every day Proceeded by prayer and succeeded by prayer. Take the moment in the morning or in the afternoon or in the evening, a time where you have some time to yourself, turn off the television, open God's word, take some time to pray and say, Lord, speak to me through your word, through your spirit. And allow that time of prayer to cultivate your heart, to allow it, to prepare it, to receive God's word, and then begin to read the word of God. Well, Pastor, where do I begin? That's interesting. That's one of the only questions that we get as Christians who approach the book of the Bible. I've asked several librarians, has ever, did you ever have a person come to you and check out a book and, and, and ask you, well, where do I begin reading within this book? They look at me, what? What are you talking about? Well, has anybody ever come to you and said, well, should I start in chapter 3? Should I start in chapter 4 of the book that I'm checking out? Should I start at chapter 9? Should I start at the end? Where should I start? Well, you start at the beginning. What great advice from the the, the scholarly librarian. Start in Genesis. Understand all that God has done and who you are as created in the image of God. And then read right through it. Well, what happens when I get to Leviticus? You'll make it, others have. What happens when I get to the genealogies? Memorize them. There will be a test. But start making your way through the Bible at least once or twice in your lifetime to get the whole picture. Start reading a chapter a night and just work through it. And allow the word of God to richly dwell within you. Therefore leading you in your deeds and in your words to honor Christ with all that you do. And if that's not enough, I'm going to leave you with one verse that settles the argument totally. I could have started with it and we could have gotten to breakfast earlier. But there's a verse in the Bible that allows us to make thankfulness a priority within our life because it is so clearly stated that anybody who reads it will understand that this is what God desires for you. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5:18. 1 Thessalonians 5:18. Where Paul makes it abundantly clear God writing through him makes it abundantly clear that thanksgiving should be a hallmark. It should be a characteristic, it should be a cornerstone characteristic of our Christian faith. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Let's read it out loud together as a church. In verse 18, he says, give thanks In all circumstances, which circumstances? Stop there. Now, does all mean all? Sure does. Can we find something to be thankful for in every circumstance of life? Absolutely. I think of uh, A.W. Tozer who was, I'm sorry, Matthew Henry, the famous commentator that was coming home from church and he was mugged and he was robbed as he came home. And men carried purses back then. And his money purse was taken from him. And when he got home, his wife saw that there was issues and that something had happened. She asked him what had taken place. And he said, well, as I was coming home from church, I was mugged and someone took my money purse. He goes, but I am so thankful. She goes, you're so thankful. Yeah, I'm so thankful that he mugged me and not someone else who really needed the money. I'm so thankful that it was me who was mugged and yet he did not kill me. I'm so thankful that it was only my money purse in which he stole. Well, why are you thankful for that? He goes, because I just took the last of the money out of it, and I spent it, and there was nothing in it. And I'm thankful for that. So in all circumstances, we can be thankful. Now here it is. Let's all get this. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do we need to go any farther? God's will for us is that we be thankful people. We can make three choices today to become those people by allowing the peace of God to rule our hearts, to allow the word of God to uh, dwell in us richly, excuse me, and allow the deeds and 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 the words in which we speak to glorify God in everything that we do. And for next year, this is going to be a cornerstone verse for this church Psalm one hundred four through five. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, blessed his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness endures to all generations. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that because of what he has done, we can be thankful individuals walking in an attitude of gratitude always towards you. And Father, we know it's your will, but anything that you instruct us or command us to do, you give us the ability to do through your grace and through your spirit. And so, Lord, I pray that not only us as individuals would be thankful, always looking for something to be thankful for, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the scenario in which we find ourselves, because our thankfulness is attached to Christ to allow that thankfulness to endure through the trials and troubles and tribulations that we face in this world. And therefore, let us become a church of thankfulness, Lord. I pray, Lord, that each and every Sunday, each and every Wednesday that we gather, we would be thankful for all that you have provided us, all that you have blessed us with, all that you have your faithfulness towards us. And that father, again, we would just allow that thankfulness to govern and reign within our hearts. Father, I just pray that there's anyone here today who's struggling with being thankful who just doesn't know how they possibly could ever be thankful, I pray that they would see that it's not because of the circumstances. It's not because of the situation that they find themselves in. It's because of you. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, this is the worst it's ever going to get for us. Heaven's going to be so much more glorious and, and, and wonderful. And so we have a lot to look forward to. And for that, we can be thankful. We can be thankful that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins, that we can have a relationship with God and enter into his word and enter into the privilege of prayer and to serve him and to glorify him through our lives. We can be thankful for that. We can be thankful through all circumstances, Lord, because of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray this this morning. And we ask this now. Amen.